Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us how Moses had common type parents, yet Moses the Deliverer was a goodly child, exceeding fair, and a proper child. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now, these descriptions of the parents of the greatest deliverer of the, of the Jewish people in the Old Testament are not exactly uh, descriptions of anyone great or special among the Jewish people. The parents of Moses, the great deliverer, are not described as ruling elders, because there were elders. We know that Moses went later on and met with them. They're not described as rabbis of the Jewish people. There's no prominence at all in the description about the parents of Moses. The father is just described as a man of the house of Levi, and the mother is described as a daughter of Levi. Just common, everyday, run-of-the-mill commoners among the Jewish people. Yet, from these commoners emerges the greatest deliverer of the Jewish people in the Old Testament, Moses. Now, Moses used, again, as we started off, those very interesting words in Deuteronomy 18.15. And let's look again, Deuteronomy 18.15, to describe how he was like the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, Deuteronomy 18.15, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him she shall hearken. He said to the Jewish people, Moses said to the Jewish people that the Lord Jesus Christ would be, and here's the phrase, from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me. With this description, Moses is describing his parents, his lineage, his his pedigree. He was from the midst of of the Jewish people, of the Jewish people. That's the description that Moses told the Jewish people, look for that. That's your clue. That's how you're going to identify the Messiah that God is going to send. That's how you're going to identify the Lord Jesus Christ because he would be like Moses in terms of where he came from, right out of the center of the common cloth of the Jewish people, parents with no special pedigree. The New Testament describes the parents of the Messiah, of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Luke 1, 27, it says, a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary, the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ. She described her own position within Israel, within the Jewish people, among the Jewish people, with two words. And she used these words in Luke 1.48, when she was speaking about herself, and she said, for God, for he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. That's the description she gave of her pedigree. It was low estate. She knew that she did not come from an impressive family line. The fact that the mother, Mary, and the stepfather, Joseph, were so common among the Jewish people was a point that the enemies of the Lord Jesus Christ made an issue when they said about him in Mark 6, 3, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. Why were they offended at him? They were offended at him because of his background. 
He was just a carpenter. He was only the son of Mary. He didn't come from any elite family in Israel. So the very clue that Moses gave to the Jewish people of how they were to recognize their God-sent deliverer, the Lord Jesus Christ, that he would come right out of the common stock of the Jewish people, that in that way he would be just like Moses, that very clue was the reason that they rejected him. And the Lord Jesus Christ knew this. And the word that he used to describe how they felt about him was given in John 15, 18. He said, if the world hate you, you know that it hated me. So the word that he uses is hatred. Now, there's also something very interesting about the second verse of uh, Exodus 2. Very interesting. It says, And the woman conceived and bare a son, and when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. When Moses' mother gave birth to Moses, she saw something in Moses. We're not told all the details But there's a phrase in there, and we don't know exactly what she saw, but what it says is that she saw him, that he was a goodly child. We're not sure what that means, and we're not sure what she saw, but when it says she saw him, that he was a goodly child, there's something very significant in those words. Because what did she see? This is the question. What did she see? What did she recognize when she called Moses a goodly child? She saw a certain uniqueness in Moses. Now, I know that every Jewish mother looks at her kid and says, he's a genius, he's above average, but that's not what we're talking about here. He, this is, this is, she's not saying he's exceptionally cute as a baby. What Moses' mother observed about Moses when she called him a goodly child is picked up on in two places in the New Testament. First, when Stephen was giving his speech on the history of Israel, which were his last words before he was killed, he said in Acts 7.20, in which time Moses was born and was exceeding fair and nourished up in his father's house three months. Stephen said that what Moses' mother called a goodly child, he was exceeding fair. Now, and then this, the other place where it's picked up on the New Testament is in the great hall of fame of those who acted by faith. Moses' parents are recorded in Hebrews eleven twenty three, where it says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw that he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. In this verse, they called the hiding of Moses an act of faith. And they said that they hid Moses because they saw that he was a proper child. So what do all these descriptions mean? What are we to make them? We put them all together and we see in Exodus 2.2, she saw him, that he was a goodly child. We see in Exodus 7.20, he was exceeding fair. We see in Hebrews 11.23, they saw he was a proper child. And very important in Hebrews 11.23, that when they hid him, they described it as by faith. It was an act of faith. When his parents hid Moses, it was an act of faith. Why was it an act of faith for his parents to hide him? It was an act of faith because they knew that God was going to do a great work 
through their son Moses. Because that's why it's called the act of faith, by faith. It says in Hebrews 11:23, and it talks about them hiding it, and it also says that they were not afraid of the king's commandment. Why were they not afraid of the king's commandment? Because they knew that God was greater than the king, and God's commandment was more important than the king's commandment. And they took the position of Peter when he was told not to speak anymore in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he responded to the tribunal in Acts 5.29 where it says, Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. And this is not just two parents, the parents of Moses, are not just two parents trying to save their baby like any parents would try to do. Something more than this. These are two parents whom God has revealed something to. And this is what's indicated by when she said he was, saw he was a goodly child, uh, exceeding fair, and, and, and so forth. They knew God was going to use their baby for a great work of God. And they were to obey God and hide this baby. And we know this was not easy. Then we know there were Egyptian searchers who were constantly going through the Jewish homes in search of the new babies that they might take and drown them in the River Nile. This was not easy for Moses' parents. And we can just imagine the lookouts that there were for the Egyptian searchers who were coming, the unexpected intrusions in the home, the ramshacking of the house and all the stuff, searching and searching and searching for the babies, the anxieties in the home over whether the baby was going to make a peep during those searchings. And it was bad. Finally, it got to be, as we're going to see here in verse 3, and when she could no longer hide him, it got to be too much. But we don't know if the parents of Moses knew the great work or the extent of the great work that God was going to do through their baby Moses. So we can't be totally sure. But I think Moses' parents recognized that their newborn baby was Israel's deliverer. Because after all, God did reveal to both Mary and Joseph that God was going to do a great work through their baby Jesus, who was the great deliverer, the Son of God. And if that's true, then we can ask the question, who in Israel recognized that when Moses was born, there was born Israel's deliverer? No one in Israel knew, except maybe his parents, that the deliverer of Israel had been born. Certainly the Jewish people who were desperate for God's Savior, desperate for God's deliverer, had no idea that when Moses was born, their deliverer had been born. Who knew who he was when Moses was born? At that time, a very small handful of people, maybe his family. The birth of God's deliverer of Israel was a secret. The Jewish people were ignorant of the birth of their deliverer. If they knew he was born, to them, he wasn't anything special. He was just another Jewish boy born in the land of Goshen. Now here again, we can't help but see how the Lord Jesus Christ is like unto Moses. We see this in his birth. Who knew 
when the Lord Jesus Christ was born. In Luke 2, 7 through 12, it reads like this. And she brought forth her firstborn and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there was in the same field shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ, or the Messiah, the Lord. And this shall be the sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Who knew when God's deliverer of Israel, the Messiah, was born? Shepherds, small handful of shepherds, Mary, Joseph. Who knew who he was? When the Lord Jesus Christ was born, a small handful of some shepherds and Mary and Joseph, the birth of God's sent Messiah, the deliverer, was a secret, just like Moses. The Jewish people were ignorant of the birth of their deliverer. If they knew, maybe, of course, the innkeeper knew, if they knew, they just said, it's just another Jewish baby boy born in Bethlehem. So just as Moses' birth as a deliverer of the Jewish people of Israel was a secret to the Jewish people who desperately needed him, so the birth of God's Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, was a secret to the Jewish people who desperately needed him. Israel's ignorance that their deliverer had been born was not just for the time when Moses was born, but from the time of Moses' birth going through the next 40 years of Moses' life as he was being raised in the royal palace, Israel continued in their ignorance that Moses was their deliverer. All during those 40 years when Moses was in the royal palace and they didn't know who he was, all during those 40 years, Jewish babies continued to be born. They continued to be drowned in the Nile River. And all during that time, Israel is ignorant that their deliverer has been born and Moses is their deliverer. And then the next 40 years in Moses' life, as we're going to see, when Moses was in exile out of Egypt, another 40 years passes by while Moses will be in the land of Midian. And during those next 40 years, Jewish babies continue to be born and they continue to be drowned in the Nile. And Israel continues to be ignorant that their deliverer has been born and Moses is their deliverer. Now, during the first 40 years when Moses was in the royal palace and Jewish babies were floating dead down the Nile River, did any Jewish person apart from the family know that Moses the Deliverer had been born? During the second 40 years when Moses was in Midian and the Jewish babies were again floating down dead in the Nile, did any Jewish person apart from this family know that Moses the Deliverer had been born? And during those second 40 years, when Moses was in Midian and Nile crocodiles fed on Jewish baby boys, did any Jewish person know that Moses was going to return to save the Jewish people? And throughout the centuries, when the Jewish people have been slaughtered by the Romans, by the Spaniards in the Inquisition, by the Russians in the pogroms, by the Nazis, did any Jewish person know 
that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Deliverer, had been born. Throughout the centuries, when the Lord Jesus Christ has left the land of Israel in the resurrection and is now in heaven, he's been there for 2,000 years, and the Jewish people continue to be murdered. Did any Jewish person know that the Lord Jesus Christ, their deliverer, is going to return to save the Jewish people? Do any of the Jewish people today know that the Lord Jesus Christ, like Moses, is going to return to save the Jewish people? Only a very small handful. What the Bible calls in Isaiah 1-9, except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant. That's the description, a very small remnant. Relatively none of the Jewish people know. Now, although, and we want to continue to think about Moses' family now. Although it says in Hebrews 11.23, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months in his parents. When you read that verse in Hebrews 11.23, it gives credit to Moses' mother and father for acting by faith. See, that's what it says. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents. By faith, hid of his parents. It's giving credit to both Moses' mother and Moses' father by acting in faith and obedience to God to hide the baby. But Exodus 2.2 doesn't exactly say it that way. It paints a little, let's just put it this way. Exodus 2.2 gives us an insight into what's happening. Exodus 2.2 says, And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. See, in this verse, it says that Moses' mother, which, by the way, in the other parts of scriptures, we know that her name is Jochebed, and we know his father's name is Amram. So Jochebed is the one who is identified as making the decision to hide Moses. That's in in Exodus 2.2. But just what's so beautiful for us, and what really comes out as a beautiful teaching, is that when you blend Exodus 2.2, where we see that Moses' mother, Jochebed, made the decision to hide Moses. You blend that verse with Hebrews 11.23, where we see that both Moses' mother and father made the decision to hide Moses. And it teaches us an important truth. You know, this is the truth it teaches us. It's no good in a marriage if one of the spouses is making serious decisions without the consent and agreement of the other spouse. It's no good in a marriage if a wife is making serious decisions regardless of whether or not her husband agrees. It's no good in a marriage if a husband is making serious decisions regardless of whether or not his wife agrees. So when we read in Exodus 2.2 and see that it's Moses' mother that made the serious decision to hide Moses, we worried about their marriage. We worried about their home because it appears that mom is making the serious decision in Exodus 2.2 and we wonder, what about dad? Where's dad? That's why Hebrews 11.23 is so important to blend with Exodus 2.2 because in Hebrews 11.23, we learn that dad was in perfect agreement with mom who seemed to have taken the initiative. Mom took the initiative and dad was in perfect agreement. Thank God for those three words in Hebrews 11.23 where it says, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents. Because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandments. Those are very important three words that we don't get in Hebrews 2.2. And those important words are of his parents. As a general rule, it's okay 
for either mom or dad to take the initiative as long as mom or dad has the agreement of the other. You know, on January 17th in 2013, Cheryl and I celebrated our 43rd wedding anniversary. And if you were to ask me, what is it that I appreciate the most about my wife? I would tell you, it's how God speaks through her and works through her, not only in my salvation, but through these 43 years, God has greatly used my wife to help me. Some couples, they fight so much that you wonder that when they get to heaven and they're not going to be married anymore, are they going to be friends? And well, I can tell you, when we get to heaven, I'm going to be friends with my wife. Because Peter said something very important about marriage in 1 Peter 3, 7. He said, likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor to the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. I give honor to my wife as a person through whom God speaks, through whom God acts. And when Amram, the, Moses' father, saw Jochebed, his wife, when he saw her take the initiative to hide Moses, Amram recognized that his wife, Jochebed, was on God's page. And Amram joined Jochebed on God's page. It wasn't a case of being Jochebed's page. It was God's page. And it takes humility in a marriage for one to realize that the other is on God's page and the need is to get together and be on God's page. And let me say this to husbands. It takes humilities. It takes humility for us as husbands to realize when our wives are on God's page and we are not. And that's what happened here in the case of Amram and Jochebed. And the issue is not getting on our wife's page. The issue is getting on God's page. And here we have before us in Exodus 2.2 and Hebrews 11.23 an example of a good man, Amram, because he did not act like a stubborn mule and say, I'm the head of this house and what I say goes. And men, even in spiritual matters, sometimes we are wrong and our wives are right. And the issue for us has to be being right, not preserving our regality in the home. That's what Peter meant when he said in 1 Peter 3, 7, that husbands and wives are to be heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. That's a very dangerous threat. There's no way I want my prayers to be hindered. And there's no way any of us want our prayers to be hindered. And man, if that means eating some humble pie and acknowledge that our wives were right and to follow on in their initiative, as Amram did with Jochebed, I'd rather do that than to have my prayers hindered. And by the way, in 1 Peter 3, 7, when it does say that your prayers be not hindered, we can imagine that Jochebed and Amram were praying together over hiding Moses. That is a very precious scene for us. There we see in our mind's eye, Jochebed and Amram, their homes at any minute, day or night, even when they're sleeping, they might be broken into and their stuff turned upside down. And hiding their baby was scary. He might cry at the wrong time. And their very lives were at risk for not obeying the order of the Pharaoh. And no idea how they were going to assure that their baby boy Moses was going to live. So they're filled with all these uncertainties and these anxieties. How do they keep their sanity in such pressure? And we imagine this dear couple on their knees together with specific prayers for God. 
meeting at the throne of God's grace, asking God to do the impossible, and praising God for having chosen them as part of his great plan to deliver the Jewish people. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for recording these histories for us that we might benefit, that we might grow. Lord, continue to teach us lessons that we might please you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. Now you can find Israel Restoration Ministries, Tom Cantor, and the Friendship with God radio program on Facebook. And there you can receive a daily devotional from Tom Cantor through Facebook. Now you can also contact Tom Cantor directly by email. You can send him an email at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's Tom, and then C-A-N-T-O-R, Tom Cantor, at friendshipwithgod.org. Now remember, today's message and previous messages are available for free listening and free download from our websites, friendshipwithgod.org and israelrestoration.org. And there you have lots of resources available for free from Tom Cantor that are online, friendshipwithgod.org or israelrestoration.org. We also have an online store of all of Tom Cantor's materials on our websites. Now, you can also order online or calling us. You can get this month's resource called What is a Jew by Choice versus a Jew by Birth. It's a wonderful, passionate teaching DVD that you can learn about the Jewish people and the Gentiles, about being grafted in, looking at the Old Testament, the New Testament. It's a great gift for any Christian or Jewish person that's looking for the Messiah. And Tom Cantor isn't just a great radio teacher. He's a visually animated preacher in this passionate teaching DVD presentation. So call us today, 1-800-247-3051 for this monthly resource. 1-800-247-3051. You can also call us to receive Tom Cantor's DVD or booklet for free to reach a lost Jewish person with. Call us at 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051. Thanks for listening.